Manchester United have done all they can. That really goes enough for the three points. Manchester City are still alive here. Welcome to episode 14 of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. This is the Liverpool Review. Joining me in our virtual Skype studio, two diehard Manx. Firstly, none other than City fan legend Walter Smith. Hi, Walter. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. Still trying to believe we've uh, not conceded a goal at Anfield. So, yeah, it's all looking good. And today we are also joined by Victoria Gregory, chair of the Chicago official Manchester City Supporters Club. Watch you, Vic. Hiya. What's the Manx last like you doing in Chicago? <laughs> oh, trying to uh, sort this country out. <laughs> not doing, not doing a very good job of it. So, Victoria, <laughs> before the game, did you get a good listen to Simple Minds Alive and Kicking before the match? I believe that's your match ritual. It is. Yeah, it goes on, uh, goes on repeat from when I wake up and get ready for the match and for when I leave. So, yep, that was on as usual. Is it true your first game was the 1976 League Cup final? Technically. That was my first game. Uh, my mum was pregnant with me. Um, so technically I was there. <laughs> I just don't remember any of it. Okay, guys. Well, <laughs> listen, Glory hunter. Listen, <laughs> listeners, due to the wonders of technology, ladies and gents, I'm here in Seoul, South Korea, where it's just after five o'clock in the morning. Walter's in Manchester, where it's nine in the evening. And Victoria, for her, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Amazing. A truly global podcast. Well, Blues, with the Mares penalty still currently orbiting the atmosphere somewhere in Deep Space Nine, let's talk about the game. So we're going to start off with the lineup. We'll start with you, Walter. How did you feel about the lineup? going into the match? I thought it was a very adventurous lineup, uh, just in terms of you've got your midfield there and you've got the two silvers starting and you know they've not started very much football together until the last last month should I say. You had Mendy back, Walker, so you've got you know when you look at it you think you've got two fullbacks bombing on, you've got Edison, you've got the two ball playing centre halves, you've got Mares, Sterling, Aguero hopefully you know going to wreak havoc. So it was just go, go, go from the very off, you know, you're thinking Pep said he wants to attack, and um, judging by the lineup, that's what you thought was going to happen. Victoria, how about you? Were you happy that we were playing double silvers? Uh, yep, two silvers is great. I thought it was a very strong lineup. The only one that gave me cause for concern, I'll be honest, was Mendy. Um, I think it was, I don't know, I mean, I think he had a decent game. I think he's incredibly fast. I mean, he seems to be all over the pitch, but. The accuracy of some of his passes just aren't quite there yet to match the rest of the team. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I thought it was a great lineup that they put forward. Walter, we're just thinking now a little bit about Liverpool's lineup. Were you surprised that Liverpool didn't play Mane, Salah, or Firmino? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a cheap blow. But when you say that, I would just, I'd counteract that and I'd just say our defence was just so good. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, it's um, a tribute to them. Let, let's get it right. I'm not averse to the odd dig at Liverpool, but you should be looking at there just how good our defence was. What did you think of the brick wall that is Laporte and John Stones, Victoria? Uh, they played fantastically together. It's just brilliant. It's a joy to watch. Guys, I've got to start off by giving you a question that we got before the podcast started. I invited listeners to come with a question, and we got a question from Senegal from a chap called Musa. And he says, hey guys, looking forward to the pod. My question, was this Pep's version of Newcastle's kick the ball to the opposition and form a wall near the 18-yard line? I am being a bit cheeky, but this was the most pragmatic I've seen Pep play. We controlled the game and and also the crowd, and we were playing our possession game. So the question is, has Pep finally learned how to park the bus? Victoria. No, I don't think we did park the bus. And if you think, if you look at the stats, the possession was fairly even between us and Liverpool. Um, there wasn't that much in it, difference in the number of passes either. So I don't think we did park the bus. I think we just defended extremely well. But that's not the same as parking the bus. Walter, this was Manchester City's first clean sheet at Anfield since 1986. Give us your overall impression of the game. Just talk me through your opinions as you saw the uh, the action unfold. Were you surprised, disappointed? Was it how you expected it to go? What did you think? Overall impression. Ah, 1986, isn't that the year that Alive and Kicking by Simple Minds was released? Uh, show my age there. Well, I had a quite an interesting sort of introduction to the game, should I say, because I was driving back from Devon, so I listened to the game on BBC Radio 5 Live, and it's quite a... I'm trying to think what's the word now. It's, it's sort of an interesting insight, because uh, I watched the game then when I got back, so I had the sort of the radio commentary and then watched it with my own eyes. What got me more excited about this game than any other game this year? That was a performance that could see us finally go through in the Champions League and go on and get to the final easily. And the reason I say that is we went to Monaco and if we'd have played like that, we'd have gone through. We went to Anfield last year and if we'd have played like that, you know, the chances are stacked up completely in our favour then. I, I was excited by that type of performance. I was excited that Pep brought something else to the table. And it wasn't, you know, apart the bus. It was very much when Liverpool had the ball, we got back into shape. And we got back into shape quick. Mendy was straight back into, you know, his left back, Walker and the right back. And you can see the two silvers dropping as well. And Fernandinho was, well, you know, doing his little Fernandinho fouls trying to stop this counter-attacking play. And as much as a sort of bigged up the defence and the, the back four before, when I say the defence, I'm talking about the whole team as a defence. That was a unit that worked together in a different way that I've not seen. Because normally with Pep, what you'll see with him is if something's not quite working out, he'll go more Pep. And if it's still not working out, you know, he'll even go more steroid Pep. And um, then that nine, nine times out of 100 works and was worked for him throughout his career. So to see another beautiful string attached to that bow, you know, I just thought it was fantastic. You know, we we soaked up that pressure in the first fifteen minute and quite and the you know quite and the Anfield roar as they like to say, mm-hmm. and then we started to take control in the first half and in the second half, I thought it was a fairly evenly matched game, but one that City created the better chances out of and ultimately could have easily 
easily won. That's how I saw the, the, the match as a whole unfold. How about you, Victoria? Where were you at the time? Were you in the pub when you were watching it? And what was your reaction as it all unfolded? I was in a pub. Leading up to it, I was pretty confident going into this game. Didn't have any concerns that we were going to go there and get turned over. I was confident. I thought it could have been you know, a nil-nil or one-nil. It would have been close. But felt that we were going to have the advantage. Feel that Pep is the kind of coach that learns a lot more from his mistakes and from losses than from a win. We saw that last season, a few games that when we lost, came out a lot stronger, corrected certain things. And I think the same from this one. I think going to Anfield, he went there with a different plan, which we saw in action. You know, it was a great game to watch. It was a shame that we didn't win. Statistically, it was very even. But obviously, I'm going to be biased as well. I do think that we deserve to come out of it with a win. And I'm sure you had the whole um, Man City Chicago Supporters Club crew. Was that how they saw it as well? Were they quietened or were they excited? Were they reacting? What was their response? Uh, There were a few of the group that were nervous. But I think, you know, been doing this a long time now. And regardless of who we go and play, I reckon we're going to smash them 5-0. So... (laughs) Uh, And that's living through uh, the dark days. We're going into the game confident, very confident all round. Let's talk about the first penalty incident. So I think it was Lovren on Aguero and uh, catches him in a kind of a triangle leg movement. What did you think of that? Penalty or no pen? Did he touch the ball? Did he touch the player? He's given him a dig from behind. That's (laughs) an absolute stonewaller. And what annoyed me, I was watching Alan Shearer and he's giving it larger match of the day then, saying, well, you know, there was a bit of contact. But Shearer... All day long, you'd have been just over in the box, screaming in a referee's face if that had been you. So to suddenly come up with one sort of opinion and then completely change it for another, absolute stonewall penalty. And you see Lovren looking up, and then you see him looking up twice, thinking... Is he going to call it? Is he going to call it? And for them then to turn round and give a large one saying, no, this is no penalty. If Aguero had gone down in a heap, he would have given the referee a far bigger question to answer. But Aguero, I think, was reminiscing about his street football back in Argentina and he was a an 11-year-old and uh, the big brute of a 16-year-old had taken him out from behind and he just wanted to get back up and get on with it because the referee didn't exist on the street. It was almost like that because absolutely mm. nailed on Stonewall penalty for me that. And you may say I'm talking um, blue nonsense, but I, I can't see it any other way. If that had been given against us, I'd have held my hands up and said, you know, I think Laporte or Stones or Amendi or company were stupid to go in like that. He's given him a dig from behind and knocked him over. Stonewaller. What I found interesting about the first half was the tactical formations that were very much on show. And it wasn't a game for the neutral in many respects because a lot of people were tuning into this expecting the 4-3 or expecting goals galore and exciting football. But these were two teams that sort of sat back off each other. It was a little bit of sparring in that first half. You know, and once the Anfield crowd, as I said before, went quiet, we just took control. How he didn't give a penalty for that, I'll never know. But he certainly didn't. Victoria, do you concur on the penalty? The first penalty incident? I do, yes. By the rules of the game, it should have been a penalty. Um, I watched Match of the Day last night as well. And the fact that they were basing it on Aguero's reaction. Well, Aguero didn't really react. He got straight up. It's like, that's not how penalties get decided. And it's, you know, which one do you want? Do you want players rolling around on the floor as if there's been a sniper in the stands and they've been taken out in order to get that penalty awarded? So I agree. By the rules of the game, it was contact. 
and it should have been a penalty. And fair play to Aguero for not milking it, because if he had a milked it, he probably would have got another booking for that. Um, I say they they can't do can't do right for doing wrong at the minute with some of these rules. The thing is, it was more than contact; it was enough to knock him over. Walter, just looking at the City Watch player reviews, it's noted here that the reviewer here reckons that both Kyle Walker and Benjamin Mendy had obviously been tasked to stay back because, apart from in the second half where we had that explosion of pace up the wing from Kyle Walker, it's hard for us to remember too many times that they did the up and down thing. It seems like Pep had instructed them to stay back. Is is that how you see it? Yeah, very much so. Um, I always think if you look at our defence and you look at Liverpool's defence and then if you look at the two forward lines as well, cancel each, each other out, you're left with this midfield battle. As I always say, our, our midfield is just va-va-voom. You know, you've got uh, Fernandinho who's good on the ball and then you've got these two delicious boys, Silver, who have just got magic in the boots and Liverpool have just got a Brexit midfield. You know, it lacks imagination. It can just... It can leave sweat on the pitch, but it's got nothing in terms of creativity in there. So I thought with that sort of battle going on, I'd back our boys. And that's why I think we were able to control the game a lot more. I thought the the movement of City was slower as well. It was more methodical than I've seen under any other game, you know, in the last couple, since Pep's first season. So it just seemed to be, we had a game plan. We've stuck to this game plan. We've had the better chances. Put the money on Aguero to get a penalty. And then Mares is a one in two penalty. But, uh, you know, I think you've got two bites at the cherry. But, you know, I thought Mares had a decent game overall and he shifted the ball around well and he created opportunities for himself. And he was unlucky with uh, one of the efforts as well, where he created this opportunity completely for himself and then just rifled it left, beat the keeper and just unfortunately beat the post as well. Victoria, a lot of City fans were worried going into this game specifically because although our midfield is very creative, they thought that they're going to get overrun by these worker bees. You know, Liverpool have these tough, little, robust tacklers, uh, a lot of energy. They don't have the same creativity as City, of course, but they just felt that the Liverpool midfield would snap into them and, you know, overrun them because they are set up that way to just basically work and, and try to nick possession and feed it through to the strike. You didn't have those worries at all with the, the contrast in, in midfielders. You, you didn't see like David and Bernardo Silva as a little bit lightweight against that, you know, brawny, tough tackling Liverpool lot. No, I think as it got later in the game, I think towards like that 70 minute mark, you started to see that. You started to see Liverpool playing a little dirtier and, you know, Lovren that seemed like he scraped his fingernails through uh, Gabby's eye sockets. And I think that's that physicality came out, but that physicality is never going to win up against the, you know, slighter, faster physique that you we've got in our midfield. I think that was what a lot of the difference was. That's something that I've seen over the last few years now. And it's the difference in training, I think, that Pep's doing. I think one of the downfalls for Vinny was that he got way too bulked up. There was like too much muscle on him and that it was an issue that contributed to some of his injuries. If you look at him now, he's completely different physique and it's that physique that footballers should have that are much leaner, like Fernandinho, much leaner, uh, much faster than being, you know, having to have special captain's armbands made because the biceps are far too big for the normal ones. Me and Mike have that problem. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Walter... Let's talk a little bit about Fernandinho because there was a pretty aggressive forearm smash delivered on Manny. A lot of guys on Twitter immediately after the match were purring about him, saying that he had lifted his level of shithousery to a new level. (laughs) 
Were you happy with Fernandinho and how aggressive he was in the game? Well, sometimes, I mean, he, he's the only player I can think of, really, who's got that nasty kind of streak. I mean, Silva's got a little bit of nasty streak to him, but he's more of a puppy, isn't he? But Fernandinho, um, you could argue that he was sort of protecting himself by lifting his arm the way he did. He's not gone in and there's no sort of force behind it. There's a coming together, as it were. <laughs> Uh, of uh, Fernandinho's forearm and Mane's throat. So them two were niggling at each other for a long time before that. And how Fernandinho somehow didn't get a yellow card. I thought he deserved a, a yellow card for some of his tackles, but it just wasn't surpassed, which I'm very surprised at Anfield as well that it didn't happen. Mm. Fernandinho had a great game and it was nice to see him rolling back the years to sort of produce that sort of dynamic performance on the pitch. And also a, like, a leader's performance as well, you know, just tactically very, very very disciplined. Victoria, how do you feel about Fernandinho and the fact that he's 33 and seems to be playing every game? Is that giving you concerns about the way forward when we've got, as I say, this 33-year-old who we're reliant upon in virtually every game? I don't think there's any any concern. I mean, I think there's the there's definitely the plans coming through for what's going to be the replacement. But I don't see that he's ready to hang his boots up anytime soon. I think he had a great game. It's a, it's one of those games that I would have loved to have seen in person because you are limited at what you do see on the television. You are just following the ball and what the cameraman's angle is. And it's one of the things I say to the people that watch the games here when they do go over to Manchester to watch a game live. Like, don't just do what you do when you're watching the TV and only follow the ball, but look at what's happening off the ball. Um, and that's where you see the players that come into those leadership roles. Walter, let's talk about Raheem Sterling because a lot of people say that when he goes up against Liverpool in these kind of almost semi-derby games, he disappears because the crowd get to him, they boo him every movement and he becomes a lesser player puts in subdued performances what did you think of Raheem Sterling in the game? He had a better game at Anfield than I've seen him have for a while but you can still see I mean every time he did get the ball could uh, hear the boos coming through and I don't whether just coincidental or not I don't think he hit his uh, rhythm properly in the game I don't think he had one of his better games for Manchester City I mean he put in a shift and he worked hard but there just seems to be that uh, the two defences were on top anyway so it'd be you couldn't really single out Raheem Sterling. You know, you had Aguero there who was, you know, shut down by foul means or by fair. And the same was very much happening for Sterling as well. Um, he had a 6 out of 10 game, but that was a lot through effort as well. He didn't let his head drop, he just kept going. But he didn't seem to hide like I've seen him do at Anfield. So, hopefully, I mean, he, I think he's played them eight times now, so he should be getting used to it. Victoria, how did the Chicago Blues feel about Raheem? You mean Raheem Sterling, who's top of the league? That's that the Raheem one. Sterling. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. I, I thought he had a good game. I can't imagine going and doing my job and being booed for the entirety of every time like I said something or went up to do a PowerPoint presentation and the whole room just booed me for the duration of that. I mean, he's what, 23 years old? It's just ridiculous that after all this time, you've got a fan base that just will constantly boo another human being at, you know, doing their job. It's uh, it's pathetic. So fair play to him. I think at some point, I think give him another year or so, he's still so young, another year or so 
and that booing will just internally unleash his inner kraken and we'll see it have a different effect on him but um, it's fair play that it's going to have some impact to him but overall I do think he had a good game Walter how about Bernardo Silva did he bring the noise for you? No again I thought both defences came out very much on top you know he had a solid game you know some spark and some creativity I thought Mares was the most creative player on the pitch Derlin and Silva very much were in the same boat I mean I'd slightly like to disagree with Vic in terms of if the Anfield crowd think they're going to get a reaction from Raheem Sterling and by reaction I mean poor performance they're going to boo him every time and they'll be booing him he could be playing at Man City till he's 50 and if he's mm-hmm. affected by that and he's, it shows that he's affected by that you know that's what a crowd's for you know to give you that home advantage and if it means booing boom booing you know it, I think that's fair game and I think he needs to in many respects put that to one side and if he, if he wasn't affected by that and he was just going up and scoring and you know not celebrating in the face he's just constantly there's no point in booing him anymore after that because you're just thinking mm. well it's not affecting him so right who's next who's next oh, in no. line can it, we turn to if he'd have scored if he'd have scored yesterday I wanted him to have done full Adebayor oh if he'd have scored I, I, I wanted to do a full <laughs> Adebayor to all four ends of the ground <laughs> go up to top drop his pants spank his bum a few times whip him back up and just run off down the tunnel you know and just say I've took the red card I would have loved to have seen him just go Bowden special you know what I mean but the point being, if he shows a reaction, he's going to get a reaction. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And that's what a home crowd's for in many respects. You know, we'd never booed Milner and he was just very disrespectful. So we tend to sort of boo him now. But that's only because he was such an arse with us mm-hmm. in terms of whenever we played them. Going back to Sterling, you know, he's a young fella and Silver the two defences I felt got very much on top of this game and things were very much compacted down and the amount of room they had to operate in was far smaller but to be fair whether the legs were tiring I thought Sane was decent when he came on Indeed what did you think about the impact of Leroy Sane Victoria and should he not have been on from the beginning? Oh, it's always a difficult one to say should they have started or not the depth of our squad is so immense right now that you know how how do you come to pick who starts and then who's going to get subbed on I maybe would have brought him on a bit earlier I think he did have an impact but I think it was fresh legs impact as well because it had been a very physical game a lot of running around for them so I, I do think that he made a difference when he came on but whether or not it would have been any significant if he started I don't know I don't think so Walter, some people said after the game that amid all of the flack that Mares was getting, he was in fact our most likely goal outlet. You remember in the second half, he had two quick shots mm-hmm. in possession. Allison got down to save one of them. Another one went flashed past the post. Do, how do you see that? Do you think that Mares was City's likeliest goal scorer up until, you know, obviously the penalty moment? Well, he was definitely the most likely goal scorer when we got the penalty moment. <laughs> um, until that point. Point, I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, but I've, I've said that before uh, on this podcast. You know, he was the our best sort of attacking player, and mm-hmm. he had three chances that I can think of off the top of my head where he's got a shot away, and you know, with varying degrees of success, but ultimately nothing paid off. Yeah, you know, he was the, he looked like the one that was going to score most out of the the players on the pitch. There was one where he, he got the ball, he cut in, and I remember thinking, is he going to cross it? And he took the shot, and I'm thinking, if he'd been involved with system a little bit long 
younger, maybe he would have put his head up and just found a body in the box that had a higher ratio percentage chances of knocking it in than he did at such a tight angle. You know, we're seeing more the Mares of last season now. You can see a player who's starting to find his feet, who's feeling more confident about the big move, who doesn't feel the pressure so much now he's got that goal, who feels probably more part of the team. You know, he's probably sat there in the summer and he was as giddy as anybody watching the All or Nothing to the Manchester City documentary. And he's thinking that I'd love to have been part of this. You know, and he's watching it. And it'd be strange you're watching this sort of programme with all your colleagues, but you're not there because, you know, you weren't involved in it. So it's great that he's now becoming more comfortable and becoming more involved, feeling more part of the Manchester City family. Victoria, I just want to take you back to how you were feeling at halftime. So we went in nil-nil, and this was the Guardian's summary. I'll just read it to you. They said, given that playing at super high speed is considerably harder than playing slowly, it's surprising that Liverpool seem to make considerably fewer mistakes when the game is being played at full pace. For 15 minutes, they were on top, but City successfully slowed the game down and Liverpool have offered very little since. One shanked Gomez clearance apart, Liverpool have defended their area very well, but they have had to. How did you feel at halftime? Were you confident that we'd weathered the storm with that something was going to happen and that this was the best chance that we've had in a long time to get the win? I think I might have been watching a different match to that Guardian writer. Over here watching it, within the first kind of five minutes, we came out really fast and we came out attacking right at the very beginning. And over here, the commentary was, you know, Liverpool have started really well and in the room here, like everybody looked at each other thinking, are we watching a different game? Because we've just come out and attacked and they're talking about Liverpool playing really well. So I don't think that we slowed the game down to a pace that suited us more effectively. I think we came out to attack. I think when we had to defend, we defended very, very well. At half time, I was still very confident. I felt that it was just a matter of time that we were going to get a shot on target and we were going to score a goal. Walter, I'll ask the same question to you. How did you feel at halftime? Were you confident that we were going to break through or were you worried about Liverpool in any way? <laughs> well, it's a strange one because I was driving up the M5 here at half time. Um, just sort of keeping me... I'm listening to the game, so you're getting the view very much of the BBC commentators, and then I watched the game as well. I thought City did slow the game down, and I think they slowed the game down by denying Liverpool space to operate within. Because you look at the centre of Liverpool's midfield, and it lacks that creativity. The balls go out, and they use the, the lines very well, and the flanks very well, and you can see their players running off. But that space was just completely denied. It was the same. Napoli did something similar as well where they, they denied Liverpool the space to, to be to be playing him because they do they're very very limited they're still missing Coutinho in many respects that type of player so I thought City did slow the game down especially I mean there's a lot of passing around at the back but there was also that denying of space for Liverpool whether that's slowing it down you know and it's, it's a testament to Klopp as a coach and a manager that he can get such a limited midfield to, to operate or to go and work at 100 miles an hour. As I said, he's the perfect fit for Liverpool. I tend to sort of agree with what the Guardian said, which is a complete difference. A lot of people are claiming that there were actually a few more penalty incidents which could have yielded spot <laughs> kicks for us. It was uh, Lovren on Jesus. He scraped his hand across his eyes. Yeah, I mean, he had the ball he was in the box he was going for a goal and then he had his eye gouged out by some big bloke <laughs> Walter 
How did you see that one? I could, I've seen them given, put it this way. You can see he's, he's made room for himself to get the cross across. Lovren's just stuck his hand in his face. You know, it's one of them where the referee sees it. It's a foul. You know, if he did it outside the box, would he be given a free kick? I thought it was the, the weakest of the three. Or the, when I say the weakest, the unlikeliest of the three to be given. You know, I've seen them given. The, the one thing I would I would mention is uh, I found quite interesting was John Stones getting interviewed after the game. It was very much about what what they'd said in training and the way that Liverpool press and the way to counter that press that's Pep God bless him must just study and study and study these videos because he was talking about the idea of the angle of which Liverpool press and the players be coming on the blind side of the centre half and that's the way that they get to them so they were were made aware of this and they were shown videos of how Liverpool press and what to do in these situations so they were able to play around the press I know Dion Dublin was flabbergasted and it was like an episode of Holmes Under the Hammer he um, was just stumped and he was um, <laughs> this idea of uh, he does well you've seen it he does uh, present it it was the idea that Edison at one point passed backwards to John Stones and he'd never seen this before he was he was like and he couldn't you know he's I've been watching football for 40 odd years and I've never seen this before and I thought to myself well you've never seen a manager like Pep before with a goalkeeper mm-hmm. like Edison because it's effective I can't think of anything else um, that we haven't already said apart from, you know, the fact that this uh, absolutely legendary player that Liverpool have seen didn't even seem to be on the pitch. He seemed to be non-existent. Um, we, our group actually came downtown in Chicago yesterday because the Chicago Marathon was on. So we watched a little bit of that. So we didn't watch our usual venue, which does have Liverpool fans there as well. Um, I would have loved the opportunity to have stood on a table and just shouted, is this your king? Um, but I didn't get that chance, unfortunately. OK, let's go to the, the penalty incident. I'm just looking here, guys, at the minute by minute summary of the game. They call it a hilarious miss. Obviously, we've talked talked about how the penalty was gained. Walter, what do you think about this little issue, I would say, between Gabby Jesus and Mares? Now, apparently, after the game, we learned that Mares had been chosen to take penalties because of his performances in training, but it didn't seem that Gabby J knew that. Why do you think that was? I mean, these things, they, they don't just happen by chance. They're all worked out in advance, surely. So if that was true, if Pep really did choose Mares, then Gabby J should have known that. So why did he step forward and said to take the penalty? The only thing I could think of is he's a young player and com- strikers live, breathe and, you know, get by on confidence of scoring goals. If I'd have had one or the other, if it was a guarantee that this is going in the back of the net and if I had to choose which player I'd most like to score to breed that confidence, because he looked great when he came off the bench as well, I'd like to have seen Big Gabby J uh, score that penalty, if you know what I mean. If, if it was a guaranteed goal. And that's what they, they live off, strikers. So he's the player that needs that injection of confidence more than any other that I can think of at City at the moment. Hopefully it'll just appeal to Mahrez's better nature. But Mahrez was like, sorry, son, this one's mine. Which, if that's the way it's been chosen, he has every right to do. Victoria, when the uh, penalty was given by the referee, I'm just wondering what the atmosphere was like in uh, in Chicago with all your mates around you. Were, were they like me? I was down on the floor praying to God, saying, please, please, God, give me this one thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously we were poised and ready for a big old celebration. It, it was clear from... What we were watching on the TV that an instruction had come from the sidelines for who was going to take that penalty, though. You know, it definitely wasn't that Gabby was stood up to take it and Riyadh comes 
waltzing over and just says like, no, mate, I'm having this one. The instruction did come from the sideline. You know, everything's perfect in hindsight and you can pick a different player to do it who could have done exactly the same thing. It's a penalty. You just never know with with that. But following up afterwards, it was that, you know, in training, he'd done really well on taking penalties. And, you know, it's never going to be absolutely perfect science, but... If I had to trust anybody's decision, it would be Pep's. Okay, Walter, were you still in the car when that penalty <laughs> was taken? Oh, I punched the roof, giving it a big yes. <laughs> oh, well, when it, when it was given, that should I say, when it was given, I just punched the roof, you know, like, boom, yes. Then I was sort of concentrating on the road whilst listening to the radio, of course. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Because I just thought, penalty, this is it. You know, it's all set up. Many years of hurt going to Wanfield. I've been to Wanfield numerous times. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen us win there, you know. Um, even if we're going in, I got stranded in a car park for over an hour. Um, and I just thought, this this is payback. This is payback. Obviously, it wasn't to be, you know. I can understand completely, you know, and they were making out that it was so far over the bar, it was untrue, and it was quite funny. You know, as a City fan, you're like, this ain't funny in the slightest. And then you just remind yourself, if this was a Liverpool or United or a Chelsea or whatever type player taking a penalty, you know, you'd be there just laughing your ass off if the if you skied it over. <laughs> so I could completely, 100% understand that. You know, that's what football's all about. You know, one one man's victory or defeat is another man's, you know, laugh his arse off moment. So I remember Guero scoring a goal at Old Trafford and me laughing for about six weeks thinking of Phil Jones's face. So, you know, it comes and swings and roundabouts. So, you know, I was gutted that he missed, but it was the performance when I saw the tactical side of it that gave me more hope as I say, for Champions League football, other managers must have been looking at that going, just, we know Pep, we know what he's going to deliver, how can Liverpool cope with this? And then looked at what Pep was delivering. You know, Liverpool posed the question, but, you know, Pep just changes the question every time. So, you know, it's just something that, that's why we've got Pep and that's why I love him and that's why I, me personally I wouldn't want any other manager in the world at our club Victoria you're quite confident that uh, Riyad Mahrez can put this behind him you think that he's one of oh, those guys yeah. that has the mental strength to just flip that off yeah definitely I'm sure Yeah, I don't, I don't think instantaneously but yeah I think he does he's a professional and it's not the first penalty he's missed either um, so yeah I think he'll come back you know come back stronger and as I said earlier on that Pep this wasn't a loss this if anything if we at the start of this match if anybody had said it'll be a nil-nil draw we'll keep a clean sheet we'll come away with a point I think the vast majority of our supporters would have been very happy with that yes you know it was a penalty it was a perfect timing as well that would have just sealed the game and it would have been fantastic but it didn't happen Pep will pick up on everything that didn't go right that should have gone right and onwards and upwards we're still so early in the season uh, we've got De Bruyne coming back who you know over the tougher Christmas holiday season that is just going to you know, air through the Premier League now. So I'm very confident for this season. Yeah, Walter, a lot of people were commenting on that point that Vic just made about the return of the Belgian prince. Despite all of the shots that we've been taking from fans of <clears throat> other clubs, we're top of the league and we've got De Bruyne to come back. Does that um, does that make you feel good? Makes me feel good. Yeah, oh, and of course it does. I mean, we're talking about 
a player who's arguably the best in the league. And he is Pep's brain on the pitch. He is the oil that greases the engine. He's the one that makes us tick. Read a really, really interesting article. And I'd advise anyone, go and have a look on BBC. It's by a company called Graysnow. And it's broke down City statistically this season compared to last against the same teams, etc., etc. Against, you know, the starts that they've actually made. And we're playing better. We're creating more chances. We're conceding less chances than we were last season. Now, I ain't saying we're going to get 100 points again because I think that's just a, a one-off, complete freak of a season. But statistically, we are playing better. Pep's embedding his philosophy into these players. You know, Kyle Walker said, you know, he listens to Pep sometimes and he can't take on board everything he's saying because he's hitting him with so much. He said 20% he was taking him. 20% plus 20% plus 20%. Pep's ingraining his philosophy into this squad and, in, you know, this team. And we've waited. Our whole club has been built up for the moment that Pep's arrived. We're, we're seeing it bearing fruit. And I was looking at Liverpool, who are our main title challengers, many consider. And I don't think they're as good as us. And that's um, when they play us, they raise their game. And whenever they beat us, they seem to go on a little bit of a poor run. So fingers crossed that they're just going to get a hammer <laughs> by some minnow. I love that if you do, in Kevin Keegan style. But, you know, it's uh, we're playing better statistically than last season. That's got to be testament to Pep because he ain't taking his foot off the gas. He's got his foot firmly on the gas in fifth gear, bombing it down the motorway, waiting for a speeding ticket. Victoria, lots of people... People have mentioned the fact that it's really which of the two teams, Liverpool or City, and of course Chelsea too, who will really flat track the cannon fodder that exists below about eighth in the table. You're quite confident that we that we're in the best position to put all of those lesser lights to the sword. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's it's still very early in the season, but I think come you know late January we'll see a much clearer picture of. Uh, What's going to happen? I don't think it'll be the same as last season. I think that was a unique season. And certainly if powers that be have their way, it won't be as good as last season. But no, I'm, I again feel very confident for this season. I think, you know, and, and now since watching the, the All or Nothing documentary and the way that just Pep operates and the way the training sessions are running and the way it's all working, that, you know, we've only really touched the t- tip of the iceberg of what we're going to see with this team. Walter, it does really help Liverpool, of course, this uh, slogan that they have. I saw on, on Twitter YNWA and I was asking a couple of my mates on Twitter, what does that mean? I'm, I'm not sure I recognise that and they helpfully informed me that it stands for You'll Never never win anything doesn't really help them does it (laughs) it's as again there's uh, there's nothing more than a Liverpool fan would love to talk to you about their history so they've won plenty of stuff in the past and I mean I was I was caught up the M6 last night and then I stopped at services. I had to go over the bridge onto the other side because what I wanted wasn't on one side. And I had all the Liverpool fans in there and they all had, there was sad chops all round. You know, you could see that wasn't a result that they, they thought they were going to come and beat City. You know, they, they were looking at the last couple of times we played at Anfield. We'd not scored there since Simple Minds were in the top 10. You know, this is uh, <laughs> something that they've, they've ingrained in themselves. This sort of, we are going to do it. And thankfully, you know, we've come along and nil-nil at their place. Let's just move on. We've got Burnley next. Sean Dice must have been watching that, just sweating cobs. He's going to sound even more hoarse. If he rings me up, I'll probably put the phone down thinking he's, he's a dirty old man. But, you know, it's uh, he must be worried. Um, Victoria, 
<laughs> on, on the Man City Fan TV videos that they put out, they did an interview mm-hmm. with one of the guys from the Anfield Rap, and I was quite interested by the guy from the Anfield Rap and his comments about the whole bus incident, and uh, that uh, made me take a look at their website, and they've got this video up there. They're just saying, City fans, can you not just get over it? You keep going on and on and on about this bus, and they, there was mm. a lot of, you know, mocking and derision about the mm. fact that uh, we're, we're making too much of of this basically is mm-hmm. is the is the joke. What do you think about that? From what I've seen, we haven't said anything about the bus. They're the ones that keep going on about the bus. Wasn't great what happened, but I'm not still talking about it or saying that there's any kind of issue. I think the club did what they felt was necessary going into the match, but I think the obsession lies with them thinking that we're obsessed about it, which tends to be the way that they operate. It's like they claim everybody else is obsessed, and it's actually what they're obsessed about. Um, it's a it's a strange thing over here in the US because the the fan base for Liverpool is is immense. Um, the numbers that they have is just it's incredible. And for a country where winning is so important, it's an anomaly. And it seems strange to me that there are so many people and, you know, younger people that are starting to support a team and then pick Liverpool for that team that, you know, haven't won anything recently. It's a question that I'll ask when I see, you know, somebody with a Liverpool shirt on who looks like they're in the 20s. It's like, why do you support this team? And I can never get a solid answer. They'll start bleating about, you know, they won the We Beat Man City plate last season or something that they read last week on Twitter. Um, but it is something that I find interesting with that fan base that it, you know, it, it does have that popularity that people do support them, and yet they're not actually pulling in any trophies. What do you think about that, Walter? Do you think that we uh, we've been going on about the bus incident as a fan base too much? Well, to be fair, if Pep Guardiola insisted that all the players wore a T-shirt saying "Save the Bus One," you know what I mean? We might they might have a point <laughs> because I saw a bunch of banners that Liverpool fans had made to take to that match about the bus and about stuff and it's like how are we the ones that are obsessed like i didn't see any city supporters going armed with a banner i know they love the banners but with a banner saying anything but, about the bus true as i said <laughs> i mean you can't just tarbrush a whole fan base but as a collective there's journalists out there who are scared to say anything bad about liverpool because the amount of consistent abuse they will get is just incredible. While there's a lot of journalists out there who have no problem sticking the knife in the city, we'll just shrug our shoulders and sort of move on. If you don't believe me, ask Duncan Castles. Okay, guys, well, <laughs> we'll just, I guess we'll wrap it up here. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Many thanks to Walter and Victoria. Victoria, could you let our listeners know your Twitter handle? Yes, it's Vic underscore Bird. And Walter, we I know yours, but <laughs> remind everybody what it is. At Man City Smith. And I'm at Bolt from the Blue. So until next time, guys, have one on us and up the blues. It's finished and Sunderland. Manchester United have done all they can. That really goal was enough for the three points. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero!